Let's practice that. Friends, if you didn't understand a single thing he said, then I want to commend you to study the Word of God. And one of the easiest tools to get, I tell you, low-hanging fruit, is something called the ESV Study Bible. I use this regularly in my study. Very clearly stated, understandable explanations of what's going on with the Word of God. So ESV Study Bible, highly recommend it. Well, friends, it is time to take your copy of the Scriptures and turn with me to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. And let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, God, we ask now that your Holy Spirit come upon us, Lord, in a most powerful way. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might be engaged in your word here this morning. That we might understand truths, Lord, about you and about ourselves and about how we ought to live and how we can be set free. Lord, be honored in our engagement, our focus, and our thoughts here this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. A lady quickly came up to her pastor after a, uh, the Sunday morning service, and she said, Pastor, Pastor, I have found this verse in the Bible that will help me overcome fear. And she read to him Psalm 56.3, When I am afraid, I will trust in you. Well, the pastor smiled, nodded his head, and he says, You know what, though? There's a better one in Psalm 56.4. It says, I trust you, and I am not afraid. You see the relationship between fear and faith, my friends? When we trust God... We have no need to fear. When I was a little boy, my family would go to Cobo Hall in Detroit and see the circus and big crowds. And I was just a wee lad and big people everywhere. And it was a very intimidating event for such a small child as me. But I'll tell you, you know what kept me safe? It wasn't that I was holding my dad's hand, but that he was holding mine. We just sang about that, my friends, and it's true. Your safety and security is not in your hands, but in your heavenly Father's. Now, by way of review, here we are in Genesis 32. How did we get there? You may recall reading about Adam and Eve and the entrance of sin into this world. And it destroyed what God had created this garden in which God would meet with them in the cool of the evenings. Intimate fellowship destroyed by sin. Well, you move to Genesis chapter 12 and God begins to reveal the plan to repair what was lost. And that is where history is moving, my friends. Because God's intent has always been and will be that we have intimate relationship with him. That is the eternity that behold is before us as believers. Intimate fellowship with God. And God made a covenant with Abraham 
And you recall that that covenant involved personal blessing for Abraham, a blessing that he would become, and that is his name, Abraham, the father of many nations. But one particular nation was in view, and anyone that would bless that nation would be blessed. Anyone that has cursed that nation would be cursed. But ultimately, through this nation, all the families of the world would be blessed. And so starting from Abraham, we begin to trace a family line that will ultimately lead to Jesus. Abraham, then Isaac, not Ishmael. And then from Isaac to Jacob, not Esau. And here we are looking at the very last records of Jacob's life here in the next few chapters. And the focus, while it will shift to Joseph, the family line will go through Judah. You may recall that David was of the line of Judah, in which God made a covenant with David, again, about that family line that a descendant of David would sit on the throne of his father and reign forever. Jesus is the son of David. But the line continues. And so here we have been reading about Jacob and we say, what is wrong with this fellow? He seems to be in one problem after another as if it follows him around. But it doesn't have to because he seems to create his own troubles. And we have seen in his life that he is a, a fairly selfish person. You recall that he, he conned the, uh, the, uh, uh, the birthright out of his brother. You remember that story about the stew? His brother had been out hunting and he came back and he was so hungry. Perhaps you've been there. Remember as a kid, eating voraciously. Oh, give me more. Well, that's how this guy felt. And there's Jacob with a big bowl of red stew. And he says, give me some of that stew or I'll die. And Jacob said, well, tell you what. Step up to the counter, my friend. I'll give you the soup, you give me your birthright. You may recall that the birthright entailed two-thirds of the inheritance. And we always kind of think in our minds, you know, well, that turned out real lucky for Jacob, but who's to say that Jacob didn't see him out hunting knowing how starving he would be when he came home and started getting out the supplies? It certainly fits his character, doesn't it? Hmm, coincidence. Well, you may also recall that his brother Esau's response to that was, when my family is dead, I'm going to kill this guy. And so you recall that his father and mother sent him off to Laban and to find a wife. Now he's coming home with four. Not of his choosing, necessarily, but astounding. And when we come to this chapter, he is now preparing to come face to face with a brother who swore to kill him years before. And Jacob has learned a lot of lessons, but we're going to see what he's learned so far. So notice in, uh, in verses 1 to 2 here, 
We see all of the advantages that Jacob had. He had absolutely no reason whatsoever to fear his brother. Yes, his brother made threats, but God made promises. God had promised to be with him, not just for him, yay, go Jacob, but actually his presence with Jacob wherever he went. He had made promises that God would complete in the life of Jacob. His life was secure because of the Lord. But notice Jacob went on his way. Here in verse 1, and the angels of God met him. What a convenient appointment. He feels as though he's about to face certain death. And the angels of God are there. You see, it is God who administers the angels. They serve the people of God, but only at the instruction of God. We don't pray to angels. We don't put our faith in angels. Angels are ministering spirits. And there they are, a reminder of the truth that God's presence was there. And so the Lord had promised him his presence, and the angels here now are reminding Jacob of this truth. In verse 2, we read, And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim, which means two camps. It ain't me alone here in this camp. And so he had the Lord's presence. Absolutely no fear whatsoever when you have the presence of God. Imagine what it would be like for us today if the Lord had said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Oh, wait a minute. He did. He did. But you'll notice he also had the Lord's promises. Again, I will bless those who bless you and curse you. Curse those who curse you. But instead of trusting the Lord, let's take a look at what Jacob did. See here in verse 3, he sent a delegation of messengers to test the waters. I mean, let's just go see how angry he might be. So Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob. Look at the language here. Oh, you don't want to hurt little Jacob, do ya? Look at the way he phrases things. Still the schemer, my friends. Still the schemer. Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male servants and female servants. And I have sent to tell you, my lord, in order that I might find favor in your sight. Well, let's see how he responds to that. Well, he sent this delegation of messengers to test the waters. But you know what? You know what else he did? And this is something we do. And friends, we've got to stop this. See, Jacob presumed he knew what Esau was thinking. Well, all of these years passed, and since Jacob remembered what he said, surely Esau remembered what he said. 
and he's probably been sharpening knives. All Yeah, that's what he's probably doing right now is sharpening knives to kill me. And we create this story in our heads as if this is reality. And you know what that does? It causes us to fear. As a child, you may have lie in bed and... You know, the sun was down, but perhaps the light of the moon comes into your room and there's shadows and, and you tell yourself, well, that must be something, even though you know better. It's the closet door. What else would it be? It's always there. It's there during the day when the sun shines in. We can see the same shadow, but you tell yourselves stories and you cultivate fear in your own world and then you act on that fear in irrational ways and friends it's silly isn't it okay everybody raise your hand oh, i won't do that anymore melanie have you done something to do with your hair see nobody's looking at the person with a phone anymore are they <laughs> hey, we're just family here, friends. Come on. Come on. So he had the Lord's promises, but instead of trusting the Lord, he sends a delegation. He creates this whole scenario in his head. Verse 6 says, And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, Well, we came to your brother Esau, and he's coming to meet you, and there are 400 men with him. But you know what Jacob didn't ask? Did he have party supplies? No, he just created, well, these must be soldiers, and they've all been trained to look for me and to kill me. One guy stabs me in the shoulder and another one in the leg. And, uh, and he creates this whole scenario in his head. And this is going to end exactly opposite how Jacob thinks. Because you know why? He didn't add God to the equation. At no point did he say, well, wait a minute. The Lord has been at work in my life. What's to say that the Lord hasn't been at work in his life? But he told himself the stories. He talked himself into fear and distress. And because of it, he acted as though loss was certain. Surely I will die. And so you will notice, my friends, at the end of verse 7, he divided the people who were with them and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, well, then the other camp that is left will escape. It's only half of my family's going to die today. Terrible. Now, listen carefully to this, friends. Please, I plead with you to hear this. Please, this will change your life. You see, he's always taking, he sent a delegation, he made up these things in his mind, he talked himself into fear and distress. But you know what he didn't do? He didn't pray. And I'll tell you this, friends. I'm glad that he prayed it all, but if he had prayed it first, he wouldn't have done those other things first. If I have learned anything from this study, and believe me, I have, it is this. When facing difficulty, always start with prayer. Whatever great 
tragedy seems to be before you, whatever obstacle comes into your life rolling away, whatever mail ends up in your box, start with prayer. Friends, you don't want to be on the end of this and say, well, I didn't have anything to worry about at all. How silly. And that's the way it is, friends. Start with prayer. It ought not to be the last thing you go to. It ought to be the first. And I'll tell you what, this this is just evolving into a church of prayer. We are changing or sharing our prayer requests on Facebook and email and on Sunday mornings and Wednesdays. and, And it is a wonderful, glorious things, my friend. But put it first. Make it be the first thing you turn to. Not your bag of tricks and how you can respond and what you might do and what they might say. And then you're going to say, start with prayer. Start with prayer. And I'll tell you what, this is one of the most incredible prayers in all of Scripture. I mean, I'll tell you what, Jacob does this right. Take note. He offers five reasons to the Lord and why he ought to intervene. In this prayer, he's going to present five reasons why the Lord should intervene on his behalf. And you know what? He's dead right on all of these things. In other words, what he's about to do is pray back to the Lord what the Lord had already said to him. And so you will notice here in verse 9, reason number one why the Lord ought to intervene is his covenant. He says, oh, And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, you know those guys you made a covenant to and now you said even before my birth, the older shall serve the younger and the covenant was communicated to me. Remember that promise you made? The Lord's covenant, he says, and the Lord's command. And the Lord, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I might do you good. This is what you said. You told me to go home, and this is what I have found. This is the circumstance with I am. But I'll tell you what, friends, if you should learn anything from that, it is this. Whenever God commands, he enables. Whenever God commands, he enables. God enables us to obey his commands. But you know what has to engage first? The will. I am willing to do what God has called me to do, and God will enable you to do it. And Jacob is just reminding the Lord of that. I have done what you have called me to do. It's your turn. It's your turn. And then he reminds the Lord of his grace. He says here in verse 10, I'm not worthy of the least of all of the deeds of steadfast love and all of the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I've become two camps. Your grace has been great in my life, Lord. May it continue. Your grace has been great. And notice here in verse 11, the Lord's purpose. The Lord's purpose. And what is that purpose? The line of Christ. 
God had already laid it out that through this nation, all the families of the world would be blessed. How? Through Jesus. Well, if something happens to Jacob, what do we do? The line is broken. So please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he might come and attack me and the mothers and the children and all of those from whom the line of the Messiah will be. And finally, he closes with this one. You promised me. But you said, but you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be outnumbered or cannot be numbered for the multitude. Remember the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky? And if they can be numbered, so, yeah. You made a promise that all of these things would come about. So, Lord, you have to look out for me. That's a pretty great prayer, to remember the word of God. What did God say about this? Count on God to do it. Well, that should have been enough, my friend. Because in reminding the Lord, he reminded himself of all that was true. And that should have been enough. But instead, Jacob had a backup plan. You know, just in case God isn't faithful and God isn't powerful and God isn't it is a silly thing to think that way, friends. But notice what he does. He ingratiates himself to Esau. Now again, the Lord had said, the older shall serve the younger, but here is Jacob. Oh, your servant Jacob, oh Lord. First and foremost, he tries to bribe Esau. Now, you know, this is your classic... Uh, you know, ladies, you crash the car so when the husband comes home, you know, you got in the garage and you, you bring him his favorite drink. And, oh, look what I made for dinner. It's your favorite, you know, and I got some of that favorite dessert of yours. And, oh, by the way, I crashed the Buick, you know. <laughs> you try and soften the whole thing. And, and that's Jacob scheming all over again. You know, that sounds like something out of the 70s, doesn't it? <laughs> Probably some television show episode of Lucy or something. I don't know. But um, he tried to bribe Esau. So he stayed there that night, verse 13. And from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. And just a little thing, you know, 200 female goats and 20 male goats and, you know, 200 ewes and 20 rams and 30 milking camels in their calves and 40 cows and 10 bulls and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys and a partridge in a pear tree. And, and he handed these over to his servants. Every drove by itself. And he said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between the drove and drove. And so here are these gifts, hoping to appease his brother. If he sees all of these riches, he might say, hey, maybe this guy isn't so bad after all. After all, that's what Laban did. You know, Jacob, uh, God was blessing Laban through Jacob, and Laban awfully liked this guy because of it. Hey, stick around, you know. So maybe it'll work with this guy. Completely unnecessary. But Jacob still 
the schemer. And so he tried to bribe Esau. And then he tried to appease Esau. Look at this. He gave them very specific instructions how to talk to Esau. He had instructed the first, when my brother meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant, Jacob. They are presents sent to my lord, Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. And he likewise instructed the second and the third who follow the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with a presence that go ahead of me. And afterward, I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. And so he is moving from the lower to the, or from the, the greater to the lower here, you know? Again, it is the older who serves the younger, but he's acting outside of the truth. God had already spoken on this relationship, and here is Jacob scheming. And it isn't about time this guy's life changes. I mean, haven't we seen enough of this over and over and over again? I have to believe that's how the Lord thought about this. Because when we get to verse 22, something changes in his life. Take a look with me here. You see, he wrestles with God. Something every one of us must do at some point, perhaps not the way that Jacob did. But are you Lord or not? Am I all in or am I not? Is it your way or my way? Which will it be? So here in verse 22, he finds himself alone. The same night, he arose and took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else he had. And Jacob was left alone. And there he is by himself. Friends, a wonderful practice for the people of God is to take time alone. And you will notice here in verse 24 and a half, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. I say, well, what's, what's up with that? I thought he was alone. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. He merely touched, and the hip was out of focus. Out of, out of uh, joint was, yeah, put out of joint. And so that gives us a bit of a clue who might be wrestling with him. And even then he continued to wrestle. And he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the Lord said, what? <laughs> it's not what's in here, but has Jacob not been had his socks blessed off already, for heaven's sakes? But you will notice this. How the Lord responds, and he said to him, what is your name? 
And I imagine that Jacob's chin goes to his chest and says, Jacob. Remember that word means deceiver, supplanter. Even coming out of the womb, he was grabbing his brother's heel. Now, tell you what, you're never going to change until you own up to who you are. Until you get a good picture of who you are. Verse 28, we read, Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. The name Israel means God fights for, or triumphant with God. And of course, this is the name of the nation of Israel. Jacob and his sons, 12 ultimately, and a daughter, become the tribes of the nation of Israel. Imagine God using a man such as him to do such a wondrous thing. Well, it's amazing he uses any of us at all, isn't it? But he does. And so he re re received a new name from God. And then he asked to know God's name. And Jacob asked, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. You know what God's name is, right? It's Yahweh, right? Isaiah 42.8. I am Yahweh, that is my name. It is the covenant name of Israel, Yahweh. And Jacob memorialized this place, verse 30. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. And the sun rose up upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. little reminder of that night. And we are told about a tradition among the people of God after this event. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew out of the thigh that is of, on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. And friends, having wrestled with God... Jacob never walked the same again. And I mean that in two ways. He limped the rest of his life. But he lived differently because of it. Well, let's wrap it up, friends. Hear me when I say this. Those who don't fear God will always fear man. If you want to overcome your fear of man, learn to fear God. Fear is the absence of faith, my friends. God has promised to never leave us or forsake us. Do you believe it or don't you? Is God enough? Yes or no? Does God use all things in our life to demonstrate his glory and his goodness and his power? Yes. So, friends, pray first, plan second. Pray first, plan second.
and seek his blessing in your life, his presence, and seek ways to honor him. And how about this? Learn from the mistakes of others. We look down the end of our nose at Jacob and say, how can you live this way when God has done so much in your life and for you? Learn from the mistakes of others. Paul, writing about the Old Testament, said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. It is written, friends, that we might learn from their mistakes, their errors, their sins, and their faithfulness. Learn the lesson. What is it that was said? Those who fail to learn the lessons of history are doomed to repeat them. This is an opportunity for every one of us here this morning to take a good close look and say, am I living the same way or am I different? I remember reading the story about uh, this community in California after haggling repeatedly for several hours about which type of water main to purchase for the city, the city council of Pacific Vista was still deadlocked. One member suggested, well, let's appoint a committee to confer with uh, the larger city of Los Angeles to find out what type they have found to be most successful over the years. I mean, after all, if we can profit from another city's mistakes, I think we should do so. Leaping to his feet, however, was an angry councilman, obviously full of civic pride, but with little sense. <laughs> and he replied, pounding his fist on the table, why should we have to profit by the mistakes of Los Angeles? Gentlemen, I contend to you today that Pacific Vista is a big enough town to make its own mistakes. Yeah, we shake our heads and we say, what kind of fool would think that way? And you know what? Now you get to decide. Father in heaven, in Jesus' name, God, we ask that you will apply this principle and this truth in our life God, we will learn the lessons of the life of Jacob. God, we will not scheme, but we will pray. We will not plan, but we will trust and then plan. God, we ask that you lead us and guide us and show us the way in which we ought to live through the easy times in which we celebrate you and the difficult times in which we grow and learn to trust you more. Help us, Lord, to learn from all of these things and not to be the fool who says we can learn by our own mistakes. And I pray this in Jesus' name and for our sake. Amen. One more song, my friend. One more 